Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. This is poet Charles Bernstein reading from his work in the Yale Collection of American Literature reading series at the Beinecke Rare Book and Manuscript Library on October 16, 2007. The poet is introduced by Richard Deming, a co-coordinator of the Whitney Humanities Center Working Group in Contemporary Poetry, the group co-sponsoring the event. Recently, a poet I know saw that Charles Bernstein was coming to read and asked if I would attend. I explained that not only was I going, I was slated to introduce the poet. Charles was a teacher of mine in the poetics program at the University of Buffalo before he became the Donald T. Regan Professor of English at the University of Pennsylvania. She asked, yes, but do you find his poetry useful? I take the question to be a serious one. Charles Bernstein's work is profoundly useful. If words are deeds, as the philosopher tells us, then Charles has indeed done a great deal, having written more than 20 books of poems and essays, the most recent being Girly Man, published last year. As editor of the journal Language, Charles has left an indelible, undeniable mark on poetry and aesthetics in the last third of the 20th century. Having founded both the Electronic Poetry Center at the University of Buffalo and recently Penn Sound, the most important source for poetry recordings now available, Charles has also done more than any other poet I can think of to bring together poetry and the potential of the Internet. These are decidedly useful innovations, perhaps even revolutionary. But let me recall the famous meeting of T.S. Eliot and Groucho Marx. As each had been an ardent fan of the other for decades, late in their lives, Groucho went to London and had dinner at Eliot's home. True story. As Groucho tells it, things didn't go well, as both men were both too self-conscious, too mired in their own ways of speaking. I wish Charles had been there. What other poet could navigate the distance between the two? Charles could show Eliot that the heart of comedy is a keen attention to the effects of form. Then he would show Marx how poetry at its best is as surprising and disarming as a joke, how it can take those words that we know too well and give them a context in which we see them, experience them as if for the first time. That would have been useful. Then imagine what that conversation would have produced. But here's why Charles Bernstein is not only useful, but crucial to the life of poetry. There is no poet I can think more willing to put everything on the line to question and challenge everything, especially words themselves. The very thing that binds us together as a wildly fraught company of singularities is language. And in everything he writes, Bernstein reminds us that we cannot, must not, take language or meaning for granted. Its depths need continually to be sounded if we are to find our way to ourselves and to one another. There's no doubt that he's witty, but don't miss the fact that this belies a deep commitment to getting as much as we can out of language, out of poetry. For Charles, the poem is an organ for burrowing, to paraphrase Thoreau. Emerson asks, what is it we heartily wish of each other? Is it to be pleased and flattered? And insists what we need from others is, quote, to be convicted and exposed, to be shamed out of our nonsense of all kinds and made men of instead of ghosts and phantoms. This is where I locate Bernstein and his poetry's restless ethical inquiry, a continuing effort to wake us back to the language that we haunt, a place we forget we can never leave. So is this useful? Frankly, I don't know what poetry would do without him. Ladies and gentlemen, Charles Bernstein.
black man waiting at a bus stop, a white woman sitting on a stool, a Filipino eating a potato, a Mexican boy putting on shoes, a Hindu hiding in igloo, a fat girl in blue blouse, a Christian lady with toupee, a Chinese mother walking across a bridge, an Afghanistani eating pastrami, a provincial walking on the peninsula, a Eurasian boy on a cell phone, an Arab with an umbrella, a southerner taking off a backpack, an Italian detonating a landmine, a barbarian with beret, a Lebanese guy in limousine, a Jew watering petunias, a Yugoslavian man at a hanging, a Sunni boy on scooter, a Floridian climbing a fountain, a beatnik writing a limerick, a Caucasian woman dreaming of indecision, a Puerto Rican child floating on a balloon, an Indian fellow gliding on three-wheeled bike, an Armenian rowing to Armenia, an Irish lad with scythe, a Bangladeshi muttering questions, a worker wading in puddles, a Japanese rollerblading fixing a blend, a Burmese tailor watching his trailer, an Idaho woman getting a tan, a Quinnipiac girl with a bluesy drawl, an Arapaho whaler skimming failure, an anorexic man with remarkable deep tan, an adolescent Muslim reciting Terza Rima, a Skype pipe fitter on the automat, a gay guy in tweed boat, a red man with green ball, a dyslexic sailor with an inconsolable grin, a Northumbrian flyer heading for Tipperary, a Buddhist financier falling to ground, a curious old boy jumping into threshing machine, an Hispanic sergeant on lookout for cream-colored coat, an addicted haberdasher eating soap, a Peruvian child chewing gum, a Sephardic infant on shuffleboard deck, a Mongolian imitating Napoleon, an anarchist lad with skewed glance, a Latvian miner breakdancing with the coroner, a poor girl eating apple pie and cream soda, a Sudanese fellow with a yellow stroller, an atheist with a flare for pins, a Bahamanian on the way to inordinate machination, a stuttering Iranian in blue and gold fog, a telltale sonambulist rehearsing gypsy, a homosexual child in a taxi, a Wiccan matron swimming in glue, a Moravian procrastinator practicing jujitsu, a Syrian swami on Lake Origami, a flirtatious gentleman spinning wool, a colored youngster admiring a toaster, a Danish designer in a diner, a Montenegrin taking Excedrin, a DC dervish dribbling dodecahedrons, a Denver doyan davening defiantly, a Bali busboy getting high, an Iraqi contemplating Harry Carey, an Ojibwe pushing a button on the Trans-Siberian, a harried officer somersaulting on a banister, a moldy wig directing catfish, an agrophobic professor on cruise control, a feminist in a rocking chair, a Burmese cook in bobby socks, a New Haven naysayer notating nasturtiums, a teenager infiltrating an air mattress, a pro-choice guy reciting rhymes, a dog-faced Finn in shining car, a Czech man in a Czech suit, a Pentecostal lawyer jogging in his foyer, a communist wearing a sad apron, a Canadian woman with a nose ring, a ghoulish girl dating a dentist, an idiot in a closet, a Moorish magician in her kitchen, a sorrowful soldier with morose clothes, a dilettante senior washing strictures, a socialite on routine imbroglio, a bicyclist hoarding hornets, a toddler 
pocketing the till, a hooded boy eating cheddar cheese, a balding brown noser in tutu, a brunette chasing choo-choo train in Argentine, dancing on a dime, a bespeckled dowager installing lapling, an astralopithecine toddler grimacing in basement, a Nicaraguan peewee with preposterous pipe, a kike out cold on ice, a hoosier off the booze, a swollen man with an impecunious grin, a Burmese fellow with a face of terror, a lost pole in the forest, a dilapidated soul drinking rum, a pistolero with folded heart, a shockwave mama hunkering down on puck, a villabound baby two-facing the cha-cha, a post-colonial fiduciary eating a plum, a maladroit sweet, coughing bullets, a hexed Haitian on involuntary vacation, a Peruvian oncologist in metrical parking, a Peruvian French hornist sipping Pernod, a Terre Haute charmer with all the capacity to harm her, a Mongolian chiropodist at a potluck, a Sampalo poet reflecting on deflection, a white man sitting on stool, a black woman waiting at bus stop. That's the first poem of Girly Man. It's called In Particular. It has two epigraphs. The second is from the genie store, uh, the genie in the candy store uh, near me, who always complains of my lack of nothingness. And the other from my son Felix, uh, when he was about 10, looking up the Hudson River, he said one day, I admit that beauty inhales me, but not that I inhale beauty. This uh, poem from Also Girly Man is called Language, Truth, and Logic. It's in two parts, and I'm going to read the note on the poem. Uh, the, first person, the first part relates to the central argument in A.J. Ayer's Language, Truth, and Logic. Quote, the presence of an ethical symbol in a proposition adds nothing to its factual content. That is, if I say to someone, you acted wrongly in stealing that money, I am not saying anything more than if I had simply said, you stole the money. The first selection also refers to David Ross's discussion of the statement, you ought to keep your promises. And then the second uh, refers to Austin's distinction between uh, accidents and mistakes. Language, truth, and logic. One. Why did you steal that money? You know you acted wrongly in stealing. Stealing money is wrong. You shouldn't do it, shouldn't have done it, not what you did. And you promised you wouldn't. You ought to keep your promises, really should keep your promises. When you say you will, when you promise. Promise? You know, I took what you said as a promise. I mean, you promised, didn't you? They say, I excuse you. Excuse me? I can't excuse you for acting wrong. Stealing money is wrong. You acted wrongly in stealing the money. I took what you said to be a promise. You promised you ought to keep your promises. Promise? Why did you steal that money? 
and the second part, you're mistaken. I shot the horse accidentally. There was no mistake. It was no accident. I mean, I shot the horse by mistake. It was an accident that I shot the horse by mistake. I did not mean to shoot the horse. Mean it or not, your mistake is no accident. It was the wrong horse that I shot. I was mistaken. I accidentally made a mistake. The only mistake you made is no accident. You are mistaken. Make no mistake about it. The horse was shot by accident. I held the gun, but I was not aiming at the horse. So you're saying it was an accident? That you shot the horse by mistake? I admit to my mistake. It was an accident. This poem is called Castor Oil. It's for Emma. I went looking for my soul. I went looking for my soul in the song of a minor bird. In the song of a minor bird. But I could not find it there. But I could not find it there. Only the shadow of my thinking. Only the shadow of my thinking. The slow sea slaps slow water. The slow sea slaps slow water. On the ever farther shore. On the ever farther shore. And myself pulled under. And myself pulled under. In the uneven humming. In the uneven humming of the still wavering warps, of the still wavering warps. Tuneless I wander, sundered, tuneless I wander, sundered. In Lent blends of remote display, in Lent blends of remote display. Until the bottom bottoms, until the bottom bottoms. In song-drenched light, song-drenched light, cradled fold, Cradled, fold. Wherever angels go. Oh, hey, buddy, can you spare me a dime? I've been searching for you so long. Yeah, hey, sister, I ain't into no crime. Won't you show me the way to go home? Been a long time. Been a long time. Don't you know I've missed you so? Wherever angels go, I will take you there to glow. Oh, hey, buddy, will you spare me some time? I've been searching for you so long. There is no climb, makes no difference, no mind, wherever angels go. Oh, hey, buddy, can you spare me a dime? I've been searching for you so long. Yeah, hey, sister, I ain't into no crime. Won't you show me the way to go home? Won't you show me the way to go home?
The bricklayer's arms are folded into a knot. They crest across a soft, rumpled body. The bricklayer's arms, stolid and serene, are out of joint with the quizzical expression on the bricklayer's face. The bricklayer's arms are heavy and slump into a wingback chair or threadbare sofa or petulant carousel or dithrambic telescope. The bricklayer's arms are molten, molded, mottled, mirrored, mired in unchained histories of insufficient estimation. The bricklayer's arms float into suspended air, glow from an inner light in cascades of slate, become broken guile. They are patched, poked, pummeled, pent, averse to what has been, oblivious to what will come. The bricklayer's arms disappear behind a cloud, then return, sad focus, dusk lit, gauzy, tipped. The bricklayer's arms refuse to tell the secret of the bricklayer's house. The bricklayer's arms abjure exposure, encapsulate the broken seams of riven dreams, permissible to a few, particular to none. The bricklayer's arms court detachment, reflect closure. The bricklayer's arms arm themselves against denial, parry promise, absorb abjection. In the torn time between never and however, they dissolve into the formaldehyde of the heart's lost longing. The bricklayer's arms found a moment in the quicksilver of immaterial solids, perception as flight against charter, ballast, cenosure. Falling into the shadow, the bricklayer's arms, knees, neck, mouth, scalp, shin, stomach, eyes blend into storm, cloud, sand, crystal, fork, bend, bay, sag, sigh, coast. The bricklayer's arms are charms of a parallel coexistence, emblem of fused incalculability. They lie low in gum silhouette, fly when floored, sing in phrases to the apparent drumbeat of incurious imbrication, solo flight marked of bygones, tattered torrents, embers of dissuadude. The bricklayer's arms peel a dull and somber tune. The bricklayer's arms break the silence of the bricklayer's heart. The bricklayer's arms are every bit as dense as the vague mist that obscures the furnished hold of the bricklayer's sight. The bricklayer's arms are the imperfect extension of the bricklayer's thoughts. No sea contains them, no forest is as deep or sky as boundless as the bounded continent of the bricklayer's arms. The bricklayer's arms signify nothing but never cease to mean. Even the smallest grain of sand tunes itself to their contours. The bricklayer's arms are empirical evidence of the existence of the bricklayer's soul. The bricklayer's arms are lost in reveries pale, sad, lush illusion, snap back from the blind eye or the quick retort to sail into helplessness's velour paradise. The bricklayer's arms are a fragment of the imagination of the bricklayer's shoulders. Buoyed by incapacity, sufficient to expectation, they are the final destination of helpless promises and muted aspirations. The bricklayer's arms are blanched in disavowal. Without preparation, the bricklayer's arms enfold the beach drives and mercurial generosity the age remands. Atlas of forsaken, maul of final detours, harbinger of ill-timed hums and off-lorn wings, the bricklayer's arms are stamped by the artifice of token and projection. The bricklayer's arms cradle the soul of the lost world.
Every lake has a house, and every house has a stove, and every stove has a pot, and every pot has a lid, and every lid has a handle, and every handle has a stem, and every stem has an edge, and every edge has a lining, and every lining has a margin, and every margin has a slit, and every slit has a slope, and every slope has a sum, and every sum has a factor, and every factor has a face, and every face has a thought, and every thought has a trap, and every trap has a door, and every door has a frame, and every frame has a roof, and every roof has a house, and every house has a lake. So those are some poems from Girly Man, complete with excellent Beinecke Library. Echo, 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 echo. Rabbi Eliza would always say, which comes first, the egg or the idea? as a way to stop conversation she felt was coming too soon to a conclusion. One very hot afternoon, Rabbi Omar asked Rabbi Eliza to trace the origins of her favorite maxim. In a roundabout way, Rabbi Eliza began, looking up from the passage she was studying. It's related to Rabbi Yukul's so-called law of the index finger. Don't put all your chickens in one egg, which itself is a variant of the saying attributed to Rabbi Raj, and which we chant on the first half moon of winter, one egg is not the world. On hearing this, Rabbi Omar loudly protested, noting that several centuries before Rabbi Raj, Rabbi, not enough sand in the desert, not enough water in the sea, had insisted that the central question to ponder on nights without visible rainbows is, which comes first, the basket or the idea of the basket? Exactly! Rabbi Eliza said with a triumphant laugh. Without baskets or eggs, we would only have words, and without words, only mouths. This poem is called Design, and it's for Jean-Michel Rabbe so it might be pronounced design for him. I saw the sign on its hooks, grappling with the being of its having become and gone in a flash, just like the gun returned to its holster or the prairie dog howling with homesickness, even at home. The consciousness of consciousness lapses into intermittent power outages and saltwater taffy. History will end, and the sooner the better, as long as I have my season pass. This is called A Theory's Evolution. The theory of flawed design is not a scientifically proven alternative to evolution. It is based on the everyday life experience that natural selection could not have produced such catastrophic outcomes. Optimists and the religiously inclined will naturally prefer evolution as an explanation, since ascribing design to the state of humanity 
is almost unbearable. For the rest of us, we must continue to insist that the theory of flawed design be taught cheek and jowl, neck and neck, mano a mano, with Mr. Darwin's speculations. The theory postulates a creator who is mentally impaired, either through some genetic defect or because of substance abuse, and, it is, predis and is predisposed to behave in a sociopathic manner. Although some benign, flawed theorists, as they call themselves, posit the radical alternative that the creator was distracted or inattentive, and that the flaws are not the result of malevolent will, but incompetence or incapacity. This poem is called, Won't You Give Up This Poem to Someone Who Needs It? Won't you give up this poem to someone who needs it? Remember what I told you about purgatory? Limbo? How all that's happening now is just this waiting around till the big cheese makes up her mind about you. She makes you the way you are and then decides if it panned out. For every ten half-baked cookies, there's a gem. And you know, just maybe you're one of those. Then there's those take her name in vain. What do you call them? The religious moralists. She don't much cotton to them, nor when they try to take away... Not, she don't much cotton to them, not when they try to take away a woman's right to choose or badmouth folks almost as queer as she is. Well, everyone makes mistakes. That's what purgatory's for. Sometimes it happens that while you wait, you see what's what. Start accepting you're in a long queue for God only knows what. And neither of you has any idea what the hell the matter is or what to do about it. Perhaps you, like me, get um, many um, surprising emails from unknown parties. And uh, this is based on one of those. Dia percenter fur tilde in percent comma I percent you percenter picture on web semi semi no point sh percenter one and tilde aunt two talk or me point ver circum e so point on I am old m percent and fifty seven year dollar bad percent de, tooth and smith oh may punk eh, com e her point de, t, me percent people point i eh com mm, ra da i er right da i po percent re percent e and com d email right point in quang g 
greater than so stocks and Prozac tilde semi I also can tilt sleep Bing Bing Business opportunity to tell till he own circumly my friends and if you semi have dot some com e mm, uh, only to help me slay I expect percent prost percent eight k, percent sir and semi do day say you knee-tilt-mun-tilt-a-all-dot-so-mm-dot-e-bruh-dot-er-in-tilt-dot-er-bull-we-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-l-
cobbling together six million tunes into more than the tones tattoo or their scrambled mosaic forecloses. And if the fume and the hope are one, my monkey from 49 steps as silent as those songs along the cratered dark where Jews do Jewish things. No one pretends to understand. Or are they pilgrims on this night when the fear and the hum are one? This is my translation of Carlos Drummond d'Andrade's famous poem, In the Middle of the Way. In the middle of the way was a stone, was a stone in the middle of the way, was a stone in the middle of the way, was a stone. Never, me, I'll never forget that that happened in the life of my oh-so-wearied retinas. Never, me, I'll never forget that in the middle of the way was a stone was a stone in the middle of the way. In the middle of the way was a stone. Every true religion is bound to fail. Only the divine truth reveals itself in lies. Smarter truths disguise themselves as fundament or wise on the way from dusk to dark, slip to slap, pitch to black, a haze cries sudden slow, searing sworn, betrays, delays, sullied song. Every true monument lays in shards, layered with tongues. The trip to caution foments alarm, as lulled to passion, action never reverses wrong. No certainty could ever cancel right tried syrup for a while, round of sweetness for ton of tears, fault of fellows, rusty melons that mock the girls and make us dry, mock the curls and make men sigh. It's a sequence of, of four short poems called Trouble Near Me. Were you there? By chance, ill-defined and awkward, values uncast immobility, eyes the joints or jettisons drift, debtors pension. From those calls, this insolvent throb, who hears, then falls. Sometimes it causes me to tremble. My rudder's bowleg, my nipper's gip, the only out is flop, flap, flip. Deep these wounds and red. All we know impales what we never will. Like an harpoon, the imaginary whale. Bleeding all the same. Trouble is near me. In the morning of my life, there was a smell of plastic burning. But today, but today, putrefaction. Nowhere is your smile 
more radiant than on this beach. I'm going to read now uh, to conclude uh, some sections from Shadow Time, which is a libretto I wrote about Walter Benjamin, the ideas and thinking in life uh, with the composer Brian Fernhow. And uh, start with uh, the dialogue that ends the, the first scene, which is a dialogue between uh, Benjamin and Herdelin, who was a very crucial figure for him. I'm, I'm going to read both parts. It's only one of me right this second. But I think that you can uh, probably make out the dialogue. And it starts with Benjamin speaking and then Herdelin answering. In the context of poetic density, all figures acquire identity. Near is, and difficult to grasp. The impenetrability of relation resists every mode of comprehension, other than that of feeling. Your foot, does it not walk on what is true, as upon carpets? The poeticized, which is identical with life. You are a lonely deer. Your timidity is your way of entering the world. This is your courage. And after, what awaits? Nothing waits but the motionless space between things to which you surrender as song. Death a veil that opens onto a void in which the heavenly gathers itself radiantly porous, sacredly sober. But beauty is never in the lifting of a veil. It is the secret of its enfolding. Are not the living, many of them, known to you? What is alive can be perceived only by means of what is not. The dead speak but only the living hear them, returning, forming into itself, coming home. And this from uh, the fourth scene, Opus Contra Naturum, The Descent of Benjamin into the Underworld, is the third part called Cataplexy. No one avail Abel's lull to swell, bell book cant to cant, tear end whip of or vamp ire, aim at vise, crack spine on feign paul limp pestile sounds, all count ere facts fail for falls in splint gel, the way day tugs up by tads there. Same as now minds bend sigh in some odd jest, fold bets or sun in stuff, I taints, I meant, mine fled, finds age as hem, cells slit, nor nor silt, old quests of shade, oh, thou art told so, spore rails in cell plain, as warps wrap shades in thrall. A cove, a quest, a form, a comb, a swerve, a nod, a shell, a tear, a taste, Along beside, as like betwixt, 
who teal with smoke or was or as, as time as tongues or tap a till or thrust nor tune or trill nor spare to tear the time with shade or goad what fells fall. Spook such pours in up and wends which not to know spares got to, nor sway, nor ban, nor trip, nor spark, nor hold, nor hear, nor lilt, nor song, nor chase, nor hid. Calm when there is no more to see than saw you see is what you give where seam is torn and such says as as, as as, as as. Not here, not there, not come, now gone. Like is, is like, as as, is like, nor. Calm where there is no calm, as bomb where there is no bomb. Suits the tail to swerve a thought, nor lays a frown to stay. Now flash, now flail, now fail, now sway, now swing, now stray. In the uh, sixth scene, it's called Seven Tableau Vivant, representing the angel of history as melancholia. Um, I'm just going to read a very short uh, translation of a reversioning of a famous Heine poem, Death is the Cool Night. Capital is the fool's gold. Labor is the folded haze. It's dark now. I'm sleeping. Work's made me tired. Over my heart grows a web which traps the weary nightingale. She sings only of history. I hear it even in sleep. You know, I'll read the, uh, my translation of the original Death is the Cool Night. Death is the cool night, life the muggy day. It's dark already, I'm sleeping. Days made me tired. Over my bread grows a tree where sings the young nightingale. She sings of only love. I hear it even in dream. Benjamin was, um, as I'm sure you remember, Henry, vaguely possibly related to Heinrich Heine. So I was sort of fascinated both by Brian Fernahow's aversion to leader and to song in a conventional way, and how often that was said, and then to, uh, to Benjamin's possible relationship to his, his great, great forebear, really, Heiner, kind of. The last section of this is, um, goes as follows. Mademoiselle and Mr. Moiselle went for a walk with their gazelle. The tiger slept on the sewing machine, and all the children swept themselves clean. Rings of desire, floods of wisps, who's to say what, what's to say which, whether what is is so because, or whether what is is not. Who's to say, what's to say, whether what is is not, or whether what is is so because, is so because it's not. I'm going to end with uh, the final section of the opera, Stile for failed time. And this um, is imagined as a solo for melancholia as the angel of history. So that's the sort of imaginary uh, voice. And uh, I want to uh, dedicate this particular reading to Sigmund Laufer, uh, 
my father-in-law who died um, a few days ago and uh, was born in Berlin, one generation younger than Walter Benjamin, and I think uh, probably figured very much in my writing of this opera. Just as I, no sooner than I had seen you for the first time, journeyed back with you from where I came, and the faces I saw had disappeared, unable to trace what I had known too long, just as you journeyed back with me, no sooner than we met where you fell for the first time, hardly to face the facts I saw, what I had known always disappearing, and the places you saw, unable to trace what's known. Then God, just as I journeyed back with you, no sooner than I held you from where I came, for the last whispers, just as you, no sooner than you touched me the first time, journeyed back with me to where I am. Blame is a child's game played by men in the furor of their discontent. Tef mux na jux nu jux vu 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 borat vu jum vu zi dom fa vo vilit. Beyond the despair is the listlessness of not the shipwreck of the irrational on the shores of the promised. This is where I found her, disappearing into tears, hidden in the marks of the victor's tears. Vu ini tom vatu du vu hash vun zo chetatu vukni lusi gusi vik haksitomi blame a child's game played by men in the bureaus of their contempt vak o ake ak of kwahaksu in chief za atu on ole kushkak zafatsu deep in the heavens high on the breeze i told the examiner found the keys went to the opening keys didn't fit forged another it got ripped first there's a tumble then there's a sash. So irksome you scratch it. Scratch till it's ash. Losing the battles. Winning the war. Sinking in quicksand. When you can think at all. Sometimes look back. Sometimes set fires. Who's to judge? No one's above desire. The monkeys you are. The angels you'll be. When truth comes to lashes. When language is weed. Zomi vun se him vu sevant me zis vu atli vuk menak. I back away, helpless, my eyes fixed. This is my task to imagine no holes from all that has been smashed. For now time is lost. Now time is cracked. Now time is empty. Now time is friend. Now time is lived. Now time is hollow. Now time is smoked. Now time is stolen. And the new angels pass away like sparks on coal.
The best picture of a picture is not a picture, but the negative. The negative, the negative picture is the picture, just as I picture you without seeing the picture you see as your reflection. What can't be seen is still apprehended, even as I lose more than I retain. As I go backward in time toward time's end, keeping still, I misplace the picture of the picture, tossed in tales of the ruin of the telling, unraveling the threads that hold the leaves, scattering the frieze. The best picture of a picture is not the picture, but its reverse, rehearsing tales until they unfold in the tolling, even as I regret more than I resemble in the tumble of my apprehensive incomprehending. The negative pictures the picture better than the picture, just as I picture you without ever having seen you or touched you as now you fall from my arms into my capacious, insomniac forgetting. Just as we, no sooner than we had seen each other for the first time, journeyed back together from where we came. For now, time is lost. Now time is gained. Now time is empty. Now time is full. Now time is lived. Now time is hollow. Now time is made. Now time is stone. Charles Bernstein is the author of some 20 collections of poetry, prose, and criticism. He is professor of English at the University of Pennsylvania. Richard Deming is a lecturer in the Department of English at Yale University. Upcoming readings in the Yale Collection of American Literature Reading Series at the Beinecke Library are posted on the library's homepage at www.library.yale.edu slash Beinecke.